We have been looking at Romans chapter 12 in this series, Belong, Find Your Place at the Table. And last week, we looked at his introduction to the chapter, which had this theme of worship. I beg you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he talks about how the mind must be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Today I want to focus on something that I think is essential. It's, it's of first importance. How you think about yourself. I do so because the apostle flows from renew your mind to verse 3 where he talks about how you are to think about yourself. So I want you to find that. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 is where I'm reading. As he talks about renewing your mind, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Picture the table. Each member belongs to all the others. I accidentally stumbled into a kind of pageant last night. I didn't realize I was going to a pageant. I thought I was going to go see my 11-year-old granddaughter Eden sing. They said she had a concert and she was getting all dressed up, which she did and they were. But when I arrived, I discovered that it was a distinguished women's pageant and there were nine contestants. And all nine of them were going through, you know, their little interview. And they were doing all these different things. High school girls that were running for distinguished women status. And the theme of distinguished women is be your best self. How many of you have heard of that? Be your best self. All right. I hadn't heard of it either, you know. But I was impressed by the notion of be your best self and happy that they were encouraging them to be their best selves. When the Apostle Paul turns from renewing your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the next paragraph is about how you think about yourself. Vitally important, how you think about yourself. I want to suggest some ways the apostle points to, to think about yourself. And I want to encourage you first to begin thinking in grace. I told you already that the context of the book is God's grace. His marvelous grace offered to us in salvation, the unearned favor of God, that we should be the children of God. It's astonishing. This is the grace in which we stand. And we live every day in grace. So why not begin thinking about yourself 
in grace. What do you mean by that? Well, think about the grace in your calling. The Apostle Paul has a calling on his life. He's passionate about it. His calling permeates everything he does. He believes he is called to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And he does it with fervency and eagerness and faithfulness day after day. The calling on his life. And he believes that calling came to him in grace. So if people challenge his calling, he takes it okay. Because he knows it is the grace of God. He is standing in grace. God gave him this calling. And God is responsible in his life for carrying it out. So, what is your calling? What is your passion? If you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. I think my calling is this. Your calling is different from your job. It's not something you do just so you can get a paycheck. It's something you do because you are passionate about it. And you feel like God has called you to do it. What is your calling? Everybody needs to understand their calling. It ought to be clear enough in your mind that you can write it down on a piece of paper. What God has called you to do. So what is it? Consider it a gift of God's grace. This passion that you have. This this energy you have to see something done. This is God's calling on your life. Consider it His grace. His grace gift to you. The grace in your calling. You see yourself. You see your passion. You see yourself in grace. The grace in your gifts. Do you have any gifts? The Apostle Paul had some gifts. He had the gift of teaching and preaching and exhortation and evangelism. But his gifts were not premier in his own mind. He did not see himself as the greatest preacher or teacher in the world. In fact, he talks to one church where he says, well, you know, you've got Apollos. He's silver-tongued. I mean, it's amazing how eloquent he is. He says in one place, I came to you in weakness. I didn't, I didn't try a whole bunch of things when I talked to you. I just talked about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in fact, some of the folks criticized Paul on the basis of his gifts because his gifts are not particularly spectacular. What are your gifts? The Apostle Paul saw his gifts, even though maybe they weren't spectacular, he saw them in the context of the grace of God. And so he exercised his gifts because God in his grace had given them to him. And he did the best he could with the gifts he had. So what are your gifts? You have some gifts. See them in the context of God's grace as delivered to you in the grace of God. Well, you have your calling, the thing you're passionate about. You have the gifts. You write them down and say, this is what God has gifted me to do. And see these things as God's grace in your life. And then consider your opportunities from the point of view of grace. What opportunities have you got facing you? Open doors, challenges. 
The things that are before you that God has delivered to you. See, the Apostle Paul, though he was not perhaps highly gifted in some of these things that he did, he still had an impact on the world that was phenomenal because he took advantage, as he wrote, of every opportunity. And he saw these opportunities in the context of God's grace. So something comes my way, and I believe God has delivered it to me. And I embrace it because I believe it's coming from God. Just like my calling and my gifts came from God, the opportunity comes from God too. Next year is going to be the 500th anniversary of the 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed on the door at Wittenberg. Can you imagine? It happened in 1570. There's a new biography out about Martin Luther, who's I've always read with such interest and such a passionate writer and speaker. And the new biography says that Martin Luther was an average student. He was not distinguished as a student. He became a professor, and he was basically a competent professor, but once again, not really standing out. And yet, in 1517, circumstances and opportunities came together in this man's life, and he started a movement that basically changed the world. It's the grace of God. In a person who has good gifts, not great gifts, but is willing to receive those gifts as God's grace and use them and walk through the door of opportunity for God's glory. Seeing your calling, your gifts, and your opportunities as the grace of God in your life and embracing them and no telling what God will do in you. One other area that I want you to think about grace as you perceive yourself. Grace in your speaking. I want you to picture a speaking situation you're about to enter into. It may be that you're going to talk to a committee this week. Or you're going to be talking to your team, your sales team, your business, your corporate team. Maybe you're going to be talking to an individual and you have planned an encounter and you're going to speak to them. God has spoken his grace to you. His grace is his unearned favor. You didn't earn this favor. He just gave it to you freely. This is grace. I want you to put God's grace around your mouth. Right there. I want you to put God's grace on your tongue. And when you see yourself delivering this message to one person or a hundred, I want you to see yourself speaking in grace, in the grace of God. A grace that comes from loving the ones who hear. It will change the moment that you speak if you speak in grace. Paul says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. And that's how I want you to speak. By the grace given you, now open your mouth 
and speak. Not in anger, not in resentment, not as if you know it all. Speak in grace. Deliver God's grace to the person who's going to hear what you have to say. Think of yourself beginning in grace. All right? Everything you have is from God. You're full of gratitude for Him. He has loved you and delivered unto you your calling, your gifts, your opportunity, and even your speech. And so you see yourself and think of yourself as immersed in the grace of God. It covers you. It's on every hand. It surrounds you every day. You walk in it. You stand in it. You live in this grace. Second thing, be honest about yourself. Be honest about yourself. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And the more highly has the word hyper in it. Don't get all hyped up about yourself, all right? Don't feed yourself hype. You don't need to do that. Be honest. Exercise sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So, God wants you to think about yourself honestly. Now, you, you do that. You think about who you are in the world, how you are doing. Sometimes you're very worried about how you are doing in the world, and you walk into a room, and you're worried about how you're coming off. Okay, God wants you to deliver, be delivered from that self-consciousness. You know how you do it? You start thinking about other people in the room and how you can deliver the grace of God to them and express the love of God to them. You love them. And loving them in the room, the people around the table, the folks you're about to speak to, it's going to deliver you from the self-consciousness that binds your tongue and makes you worry about how you're coming off. You're going to come across just fine if you're speaking in grace and love and you're being sober about who you are. Get rid of the hype. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That will lead to the sin of pride. And you don't want pride in your life, okay? Because pride goes before what? A fall. Yes. So we don't want to get self-important. We don't want in, to inflate in our mind our gifts and our calling. There's no need to do so. It's not helpful to do so. It doesn't fire you up to do so, to overestimate and think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. It just leads to pride, and pride goes before a fall, and a haughty spirit before a fall. We don't want to be there, all right? So don't think of yourself, the apostle says, more highly and he would also add, more lowly than you ought to think. There are some people who think too little of themselves. They don't really love themselves. Loving your neighbor as yourself is hard for them because they don't love themselves. And that's not good either. That also leads to sin. Jesus describes this servant who gets one talent instead of two or five, but afraid that he might lose the one talent. 
he goes and he buries it in the ground. He says, I can't do anything with this. I'm afraid that if I try, I'm going to lose it. So I'm just going to bury it here in the ground. I'm not going to try to do anything because I just don't think I'm competent to do anything. You see how thinking of yourself too low? Jesus says in the parable, the master calls him a lazy and wicked servant. Why? Because he buried his talent in the ground, thinking he couldn't really do anything. And there are people who feel they are empty, that they are useless. It's just true. I walked beside a young lady down the sidewalk, never will forget the moment. I told her God loved her, and she turned to me and said, why should God love me? Nobody has ever loved me. Nobody's ever loved me, she said. It shaped how she thought about herself, who she understood herself to be. Because for years she had said, nobody loves me. Heidi came to me and told me her story. She had wondrously experienced the grace of God through trusting in Jesus as Savior. But Heidi's story is this. She grew up in this difficult family. At 12 years old, they stopped in Las Vegas on their way somewhere. And she got out beside a dumpster. And her father and mother said, we'll be back. And they never came. That was her story. I know a man now who works in a church whose mother left him in a dumpster as a baby. Maybe you have had these kind of blows on your life and you think of yourself as worthless that too is wrong. That too is sin. We don't want the hyped up view, nor do we want this sense of worthlessness that we cannot do anything. Instead, we want sober judgment. And the word here is about the whole. A judgment that is complete, that is whole, and yes, that is healing for you. That's how we want to see ourselves in wholeness. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, it's right here in the text. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sound judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. To each of you. To each of you. You get your faith from God. God has given you faith. Everybody in the room, God has distributed faith to you. And you are to see yourself in accordance with, from the perspective of this faith that God has given you. Now, your faith is your trusting God and entrusting yourself to God. You trust God because He is good, because He is just, because He is merciful, because He is love. You trust Him. If He's not good, if He's not just, if He's not love, then you can't trust Him. But that's who He is, so you trust Him. So you trust God and then you entrust yourself to God. That's what it means to lay down your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That's in you entrusting yourself to God. Giving yourself as a sacrifice completely and wholly as we have been singing unto the Lord. That's you entrusting yourself. That's faith. Now faith is powerful. 
And you may be thinking, well, I'm one of the folks in the room that have a little bit of faith. I got teensy-weensy faith. Well, that's all right. It's okay to have a little bit of faith. Jesus knew that that syndrome plagued us, and we thought about our faith as little and tiny. And so he told the parable of the mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in the garden, tiny almost to the point of being invisible. And Jesus said, if your faith is just that tiny, still, you could say to this mountain, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would happen, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Listen, everybody in the room got some faith to believe, to trust God, to entrust yourself to God. This faith that you hold in your heart, this little bitty faith, is the substance of things you hope for and the evidence of things you have not seen as yet. And if you will see yourself immersed in the grace of God, from the perspective of the God whom you can trust, nothing shall be impossible unto you. God specializes in using ordinary people with adequate but not exceptional gifts to change his world and do amazing things. He does it in every generation, in every community, time after time, place after place. If people will see the grace of God poured upon their life in their calling, their gifts, and their opportunities, and if they will look from the perspective of faith upon who they are, Nothing shall be impossible unto them. These are the people who do mighty things. Who see their gifts and calling and themselves in accordance with the faith God distributes to each and every one. Don't sell yourself short. Don't think because I didn't make 140 in the IQ test... Or I didn't make 25 in the ACT, I'm not going to be a success. <laughs> Those measures don't mean anything to God. How does God measure you? In accordance with your faith, believing Him. I'm speaking to somebody who this year you really want to do something. It's going to take faith. It's going to take faith. Now, in the book of Hebrews, faith and perseverance are so closely connected you can hardly distinguish them. It's like the people who have faith, they just hang in there. They just keep hanging in there. They get it done. They have a perseverance and a stickability that is just amazing. So part of faith is your determination that you're going to carry through with God on the thing that he has called you and gifted you to do and as he places that opportunity in your life, you are going to step in and do it. See yourself in this way. Think of yourself not with height, but with sober judgment from the perspective of faith. Now I want you to take one other step in your own self-image and how you think of yourself. Okay, One more step, very important, essential. I want you to pull back the chair and sit down at the table. I want you to look to the right. I want you to look to the left. 
Since you were very, very young, your self-understanding has been connected to the people at the table. Your dad, who sat at the front, or your mother, who bustled around the table and finally sat down somewhere, or the brother or sister that was at the table. You have identified yourself in the context of individuals. Now, the Apostle Paul says at the end of this little paragraph about how you ought to think about yourself, he says, you belong as a member of the body to all the other members. You belong. You belong at this table that the Lord provides for you. These brothers and sisters are real. And men and women, we have never taken seriously enough this understanding of who we are in the context of the church of Jesus Christ connected to one another. And young people, I hope you just latch on to it and, and develop your self-understanding in the context of the folks that God has placed in your life and put around you, just as you did when you were little at the table of your parents or your parents, those who raised you, that nuclear family that was yours, just as you developed your understanding when you were very small at who was present at that table. Now today, see yourself in the context of the church of Jesus Christ with brothers and sisters who are differently gifted than you may be, but called to the same wonderful prospect of the gospel. And here's where the possibilities are exponential. I don't know if Anna Palmer is here. Are you here, Anna Palmer? Okay, with fear and trembling, I'm going to use her as an illustration. <laughs> don't let this come back on me, girl. She thought of Fuel the Future seven years ago. She knew she couldn't do it by herself. She wrote it out as just a dream. As of today... $350,000 worth of food have gone in little bitty bags to children at risk of hunger in this community. Friday after Friday. That's right. 300 of them prepared right now to be delivered to schools. You say, how in the world did that happen? Well, we got partners. We got seven churches helping us. We got churches to give us money. And we've got individuals who do this week after week. And you say, how that happened? It happened because we are connected, vitally connected in the spirit, in the body of believers. And there's something that God is calling you to do. But you do not have to do it yourself. You don't have to have all the gifts. You don't have to have all the skills. You've already got a body, brothers and sisters, who with a similar calling can help you as God enables them. Amen. That's the beauty. That's the amazing potential of the church of Jesus Christ. See, it's the team. As soon as Jesus had a chance in his ministry, he called 12 guys. You know why he called them? Mark says he called them so they could be with him. I want you guys with me. Who are these guys? Fishermen, tax collectors, 
They're a motley crew. Are they unusually educated? No. Didn't we identify them as people going to turn the world upside down? No. But Jesus brought them around him because he wanted them to be with him. So he could teach them. And he could teach us how much we need each other to fulfill the calling, the potential and possibility that is you. You need to belong in your, in your brain, in your heart. Belong. Stay connected. Work at it. Value it. Treasure it. This place at the table God has given you is the spot where he enables you to be everything you can be. To do all that you are called to do in the work that he has designed and planned for you. Bow with me, please. We bow in the presence of a mighty God. Through his spirit, he baptizes us into the body, which is his church. He connects us by the spirit one to another. And day by day, Sunday by Sunday, in the hour of worship, as we surrender all that we are to him as we seek to renew our mind he shows us what's next God by your spirit I pray you will speak to the young and old in this room with that seed of faith in them Lord that you will help us discard the hype Get rid of the false notion we are nothing. And help us see ourselves surrounded by your grace from the perspective of faith, able to do wondrous things. In Jesus' name we pray.